just want to be still and for a second in your home and just invite the Lord to be with you and to speak to you. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus, that he is the light of the world. Thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And would you open our eyes this morning, Lord? Open our eyes to the areas of our lives where you need to change. Open our eyes to how we can help the world, just as you helped the world. And help us feel your love this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we had a quite a long reading this morning. Um, this is a really long, um, pa- a passage that just describes a, a really an interesting um, impact that Jesus had on a man's life and on the Pharisees. The passage is kind of split up into a few sections, and we're going to walk through the passage together um, as we go. Um, first, we have the, the section where Jesus heals the man between verse 1 and 12. Then the man is brought before the Pharisees in verse 13 to 34. And finally, Jesus debriefs with the man. He catches the man at the end and again talks to the Pharisees in verse 34 to 41. It's really similar to a passage that we've already read in John, in John chapter 5, where Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. But there's a contrast between that passage and this one. Um, Jesus healed on the Sabbath in that passage. Jesus um, was, the man was tried before some officials. And again, um, the, Jesus debriefed with the man afterwards. He, he caught them and kind of explained who he was. But here we have a man who shows faith. Um, where in the pool of Bethesda, the man seemed to be um, you know, chastised by Jesus um, after he was in front of the officials. But we start off in verse 1. And we are asked the million pound question. Um, why is this man blind? What's the purpose of this man being blind? Or why did it happen? Or whose fault is it? Um, which is really, really interesting. The disciples are asking Jesus, basically, Jesus, where does suffering come from? Is it um, his fault? Is it his parents' fault? Um, you know, what's going on here? Why is this man um, blind? I've been reading um, the Bible in a year since January. <laughs> um, we've just started a new, a new Bible um, reading plan. And it's called the Bible Recap. A really great Bible reading plan if you want to get into the Bible this year. You can start at any time um, and just start it on your own on the Bible app, on the Version Bible app. Um, and it goes through the Bible chronologically. So you start off in Genesis and you go through the historical chron- chronological order of the Bible. Um, and after chapter 12 of Genesis, you go straight to Job, which is kind of in the middle of the Bible, if you look at it, um, how the Bible is structured. And Job, um, a lot of scholars believe, was set at the time of Abraham or the time of Genesis. And Job is the book of the Bible that offers us some questions and some answers as to the idea of suffering and where it comes from. The book is all about suffering, understanding suffering, and actually mainly about faith. If you read the book, um, if you don't know the story of Job, um, briefly the story is there's a man called Job who's a really righteous man, and God is really proud of this man. He's very wealthy and has a big family and is just having a really great life. Um, and then one day in the court of heaven, 
um, the accuser comes before God and says, this man, Job, um, you know, he wouldn't follow you if he suffered, if he was going through difficult things. He wouldn't do that. And, but God knows of Job's faith and says, okay, let's, let's test, um, test Job. And so in some mis- mysterious way, um, Job loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his livelihood. His um, camels and um, livestock are all destroyed. And, and on top of that, he, he becomes really sick and gets um, these awful boils on his, on his body. And he has three friends who come and try to explain to him what, um, why this is happening. Some friends say, you know, it's your fault. It's an unconfessed sin you've, got, you've done, and you need to go and bring that before God. Um, some people say that it's just, you know, you've definitely done something wrong here. You need to confess. But none of that is true, and none of the, his friends have the right thing to say. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the book, we are not told... Um, you know, the purpose of, of Job's suffering. Um, but we are told that God is far and above suffering and that he um, can use that for his glory. Now, something that we in our lives can think of a lot of the time, and like the disciples are um, guilty of believing here, and sometimes the Pharisees are seen doing it as well, is that they think um, they basically believe in the idea of karma, the idea that if I do a good thing, then good things will happen to me, or if I do a bad thing, bad things will happen to me. And therefore, if someone is ill, it's because they've done something wrong in their life and they deserve that thing. Um, and sometimes we are unconsciously believe this in our lives. We, we bargain with God. We try to coerce him into doing good things. We try and live good lives so that God will give us a life without pain and suffering but we know that that is not how the world works, that we live in a fallen world, um, as Emily talked about earlier. And the, de- the devil, sin, and the world want to destroy us. But we know that Jesus has come to make all things new. One day, all of um, Jesus will ultimately bring perfect healing and restoration. And we can pray for that, and we can call that down now, just as Jesus does in this passage But sometimes we need to have faith like Job and we need to have faith like this blind man. That God is good and that God is working his purposes out in difficult situations and that one day he will restore all things to himself and there will no longer be an issue. And so Jesus says this is not um, why this man is born blind. Um, He is blind because for, for a divine purpose, and that we're going to see God's purposes brought out. And Jesus says, um, you know, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Talking about, um, you know, we, we remember what Johnny said a few weeks ago about the Feast of Tabernacles and everything that that means. But even more than that, Jesus says, I am the light of the world while standing in front of a blind man. And that's really, really poignant. But more importantly than that, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world while I'm in the world, and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And so Jesus is the bringer of restoration, the bringer of healing and wholeness in this man's life. But more than that, he says, when I'm gone, that's your job. That's your job to bring that light into the world. And in that passage, Jesus says, don't hide your light under a bushel. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. And in the same way, we shouldn't hide um, our jobs as those who are to restore the world. And in verse 6, the healing happens, and it's a really weird healing. 
Jesus spits into the ground, makes some mud, and rubs it in the man's eyes. Um, If you saw somebody doing that today, it would be a really strange thing to see. And commentators have lots of things to say about why Jesus did this. There's lots of different things that people think. Calvin thought that Jesus was making the man, he was increasing his blindness so that the healing would be, um, you know, evident even more. I'm reading a book at the minute by a guy called Dean Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. If you're going to read a book this year, I would encourage you to read that book. It just describes how God's ultimate um, characteristic is being gentle and lowly and loving and kind towards us. His natural inclination towards us is love and mercy. Um, It's a really great book. But in that book, he says that when Jesus is healing people, he's not doing something supernatural. When Jesus is healing people, he is restoring the natural order of things. In Genesis chapter 1, everything was perfect and good. And when Jesus heals, he is restoring the natural order. And that's what Jesus is doing here. The natural order of the world, in Genesis chapter 1, there would be no one blind. And so Jesus is restoring the man to his natural order. And the amazing thing is that Jesus is the active agent in this. There's no evidence in the passage of the man asking Jesus for him to be healed. The disciples see him, they talk about him, and he's kind of in the side of the conversation, and then Jesus heals the man. There's a few interesting things that you you can bring about with um, Jesus spitting into the ground and rubbing mud into the man's face. Um, I was actually reading a Bible passage this morning and and the podcast of the Bible recap talked about how um, saliva and and blood and that kind of stuff is a symbol of life. And that's why it was unclean um, to come before God, um, you know, covered in blood or or, um, with with spit or or those kind of bodily fluids because they're a symbol of life. And it was kind of the idea that you had less life in you uh, because you're getting rid of those things and so you were washed to be clean and to be fully alive to come into God's presence and in that way Jesus is using um, life this life-giving thing that comes from the giver of life and he is making um, something new for this man not only that but it was un- there was an idea of it being unclean and Jesus was healing on the Sabbath and making mud on the Sabbath which was all kind of unlawful for the for the Pharisees Um, They were building on the law of the Sabbath. That wasn't a biblical principle, but they were making it even stronger and going even further with that. But a lot of commentators say that Jesus is using the dirt and the mud, just as Adam was made out of the dirt, out of the dust. Jesus is using the dirt to recreate eyes for this man, which is a really, really cool um, way to think about it. And so Jesus is doing something really controversial on the Sabbath. He is making mud. He is healing. He is using saliva, which is unclean. And he uses those things to make cleanness and wholeness and fullness in this man's life. The amazing thing about this passage is Jesus shows us that there is no formula to to healing There is no one way, one pattern to do things, one way to stand, one way to pray, one way to, the right words to say, the right actions to do to bring about God's miraculous healing in people's lives. 
In, in the Bible, there are members, who, members of the people who are being healed who are um, in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, your faith has healed you. There's times where people's friends, it's their faith that is said of he- healing other people. There's a time when a Roman centurion comes to Jesus, and Jesus heals by proxy. He, he heals someone who is distances away, miles away, and it's the centurion's faith. Yes, there's always faith present, but it's not necessarily our faith. It could be the faith of other people. And so Jesus subverts this idea that there's a right way to be healed. He subverts the idea that this man is guilty of sin. His parents are guilty of sin. He uses unclean things and he gives this gracious gift. Then we get to see this discourse with the Pharisees and it's quite comical actually. When I did this um, passage um, in Banbridge when I was working there with some young people, I actually got us to act it out because I just thought it was really funny that these Pharisees are completely blind to what has happened and they just don't get it. And yet the blind man who obviously isn't the, you know, the really smart person, the really well thought of person is just dumbfounded by these Pharisees. He says, I can see, I was blind and now I see. Obviously, this man is a prophet, which was, would have been a, you know, a really good compliment, but obviously he's a really good person, a good man. But the Pharisees are truly the people who are blind here, truly the people who don't see what Jesus is doing. I don't know about you, but in the first um, lockdown, when everything came to a halt, when everything stopped, um, me and Abby said to each other, Abby's my wife, we said to each other, right, okay, here's a really great opportunity for us to get loads done in the house. We made a big, big list of stuff to get done. Um, You know, we were going to marry condo. We were going to tidy all our cupboards. We were going to get rid of all the stuff that we don't use. We were going to tidy the attic. We were going to tidy the garage. We were going to get the garden ready. We were going to do all these kind of things. And we kind of worked through that the first lockdown. And I had a couple of DIY jobs to do, painting walls and that kind of thing. I think most of us are not in that space this lockdown, and that's completely okay. I think that's really, really okay. And I may have used this analogy before, but that just makes me think of what Jesus is doing in this passage. When we invite the Lord to come into our lives, we invite him into the home of our hearts. And it's like when we go to live with somebody else or we, when we get a house in order. When you live with somebody else, they'll come into your house and they will change things. They will move things around. And it's the same way as Jesus comes and lives in our heart. And yes, when we initially come to the Lord, we say, yes, Lord, come into this room of my heart. I really want you to change this thing about me. I really want you to change my language. I want you to be, make me a better father. I want you to make me a better, um, a better friend. I want you to help me to study the Bible more, to love you more, to pray more. And we're excited about him changing those things. And just like a house, there's bits that we really want to get in order. And then Jesus comes and even further into the, house of our, the home of our hearts. And he comes to that cupboard where we just threw everything. Um, or that space in the attic that we've left dark and dreary. And Jesus says, okay, let's come and deal with this thing now. And just like when we're cleaning our house, we say, Lord, no, 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 that's, that's, I will, I'll deal with that later. I don't want to think about that. No, no, that's okay. And that, that thing doesn't affect um, other people, you know, it just affects me. I'm the only one who knows about it. It's okay. Well, we'll come back to that later, Lord. And Nigel has said this time and time again, but when the Lord speaks to us about something, when he brings us to that space in our lives, that might be a space 
where he stops speaking to us if we don't listen to him anymore about it. If we won't listen to God about this thing that we need to change, then he might not speak to us about other things. Or more importantly, we might just not be able to hear him because we have closed our ears, we've closed our eyes to the things that the Lord is showing to us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the Pharisees who are clearly blinding themselves, covering their eyes, sticking the blinders on and saying, no, 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 I don't want to see, I don't want to see. I want to be someone who is changed by the Lord and letting him change those things. What, what might that room look like for you? What might that thing be? I'm talking quite metaphorically here. Maybe it's, you're somebody who's um, looking at stuff online that you know you shouldn't be or um, looking at stuff on the TV um, late at night. And you know that that's something that you shouldn't be doing. It's bad for your relationships with others, your relationships with your family. Or you just think it's just affecting you. But the Lord's asking you to do something about that now. Maybe you need to confess that sin to your spouse or to um, a friend. But you need to get rid of it. Jesus says in, in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's better to enter hell with, without a hand than to go into hell with a hand. So if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And so do whatever you need to do to get rid of that thing in your life. Delete apps, um, get rid of screen time, put blockers on your phone or on an iPad or on a computer. Whatever you need to do, cut it off. And I've said this before, but victory can't happen without confession. Maybe you're looking at the planet and you're maybe watching some David Attenborough documentaries right now and you just think, Lord, I need to change my lifestyle because I'm contributing to destroying this planet. And you might not believe in climate change, but here's a small example. The average plastic bag is used for 12 minutes. It doesn't biodegrade for a thousand years. And so whether you believe in climate change or not, you're leaving that plastic bag in the ground for your children, your grandchildren, your grandchildren's children to just pick up and, and have to deal with. So maybe you want to change your lifestyle for that. Maybe it's an unforgiveness that you're harboring for other people for something that they've done that is genuinely hurtful, but the Lord's asking you to deal with that and to, and to forgive. Maybe it's just being responsible with the things that you buy and not um, just buying whatever you can and, and not caring about who it affects, the delivery drivers and the, um, the people who are making items. It's said that 3.1 slaves are used in the making of every smartphone because of the different components that need to come into the making of it. And so maybe we look more ethically at the things that we're buying and, and think more about that. Or maybe as Nigel said earlier, now, there's a room of fear, of anxiety in our lives that we say, Lord, no, I'm holding on to this. This is for me. Maybe it's to do with your family that you want to love and protect them and you think that that's your job. And yes, it is your job, but the ultimate protection of your family comes to the Lord. And maybe the Lord's asking you to give them over to him. N.T. Wright says, this story speaks to many dark places in our world, indeed in our own lives, where fear Resentment, anxiety, and shock cripple our understanding, restrict our faith, and stifle our love. The thing is, if we ask the Lord to truly let us see, and to let us see those areas of our lives that we need to change, then we need to do something about them. If we truly want to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, we can't close our eyes again just like the Pharisees continually do in this passage. 
We need to be prepared to do something about it and to change these things in our lives. And the reverse of this passage is really true as well. Last week in youth, um, we were reading a different part of John's um, gospel in John chapter 8, where Jesus um, finds the, the, has brought the woman caught in adultery. And the, the Pharisees go to stone this woman and say, Jesus, what are we to do this, with this woman? And he says, um, he without sin may cast the first stone. And it's starting with the older and going to the younger, they all walk away. And something we were talking about is that our job as Christians is not to cast stones. Our job is to be the loving, compassionate presence in their lives. I'll say something um, that's quite difficult to hear, but um, we all know it's true, but it's good to be reminded of it. Those who do not know the Lord are blind. I'll say it again. Those who do not know the Lord are blind. Sometimes we look around the world and we question why people are acting this way, why things are happening, why people are doing this, that, and the other, why people have these opinions of sexuality, of gender, of finances, of, of, of greed, and it's because of their blindness. And sometimes we as Christians, we want to be the people who point out everybody's wrongs when Jesus says that it's, that's not our job. Yes, we are the light of the world. We are called to lift people's burdens. As Jesus said, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We're called, called to lift people's burdens, not to put heavier burdens on top of people. Abby's reading a book at the minute, and the, the author gives a really good example of when she was working a summer job, and um, lots of, she was a really um, zealous Christian, and she was telling her workmate, workmates to stop swearing. Every time someone swore, she would tell them off and chastise them. But was that really a good witness to those people, adding burdens onto their lives of, of things that they should do? Sometimes we expect people to behave, to change their behavior before they're allowed to belong to your community, and then maybe they'll believe. But actually, we should think the opposite, that we should ask people to belong to our community, that they are welcome here, and then ask them if they want to believe, and then maybe the Lord will change their behavior. All we have to do is follow the Lord, be a kind, compassionate presence in the world, to be the light of the world and to speak truth, to speak what we do believe, to not shy away from saying what we do believe and saying what we believe about gender equality, about um, sexuality, about finances, about the, prior, the priority of life, but at the same time, not those who chastise, who point the finger and add burdens onto people. And so if you have people in your lives who, who you know do not know the Lord, um, the main thing that we need to do is ask the Lord to open their eyes because he is the one who makes the blind see. He can use our words, he can use our actions, but ultimately he is the one who opens their eyes. Today, I want to ask the Lord to open my eyes to the areas of my life that I need to change those things that I need to confess or forgive. But I also pray that Jesus would open the eyes of those in my life who don't know him, who are living blind lives and are wandering around in the dark. Will you let Jesus see today or will you be like the Pharisees who close their eyes to what he has to say?
knowing that you do see, will you be someone who stands in your ivory tower, pointing and laughing at the blind? Or will you be someone who lifts them up in prayer, who, who sits on your knees in prayer, asking the Lord to open their eyes and to let them see, to let them see the light of the world, the gracious and kind Savior who's come to recreate them and to make them new. Let's pray together. And it may be helpful for you to just imagine the, the house of your, your heart this morning. Imagine where the Lord may be asking you to do something and to change something. And wait on the Lord for a second and just listen to what he has to say. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are making all things new. That you are restoring the natural order. That you have chosen to use us to do so. Lord, come into my heart today. Show me the areas of my life that I need to give to you. Show me the guilt sin, shame, or fear that I need to give to you. Help me wrestle with those things today so that I may live more like you tomorrow. Lord, for those in my life who are blind to you, open their eyes. Show them the foolishness of the world, but show them the wonder of your light. Lord, graciously use me to show them the light and help me to be inclined to them as you are with love and gracious affection. Open all of our eyes, Lord, that we might behold your love and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.